we're back, baby. Boy, do we have some news for you. <laughs> Welcome back to Teacher Quit Talk, allegedly. Don't be mad. <laughs> Don't be mad, you guys. Things have taken a turn. Things have taken a turn. I feel like in Sex in the City, when Carrie gets back with Big after he abandons her at the wedding, and her <laughs> friends are like, be so fucking for serious right now. So do you want to tell our friends what you did? I was in a silly, goofy mood, and I accepted a full-time teaching position. Woohoo! Why the heck not, you know? Yeah. One thing about America's youth, they're in crisis, and only I can lift them out of it. So we sent you in to get insider info, because we ran out of content. We <laughs> did. No, we did. Like, every week I was like, I don't know. So I was like, let me just throw myself on the stake for this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. That's not why. <laughs> I've returned to the war. Yeah, how's it going? So it's actually, I'm really glad that we're filming this episode today because I, so to give you all context, I'm a couple weeks into school already. I decided that I knew the first couple weeks would be really hard. So I was like, let me just keep this to myself and process and then we'll talk about it. And today, today for the first time, I was like, oh, we're slaying right now. We're slaying. Because earlier this week, let me just tell you, on Monday, that was a dark day. On Monday, I was like, what have I done? What have I done? I thought you were going to quit. I thought that was it. No, I literally, I looked in the mirror and I was like, you can't quit because that's so embarrassing. I'm glad that you persevered. I mean, obviously you did. That's what you do. You're a survivor. So I am very happy to be back. And I think think I made the right decision coming back because whenever I have kids in my room and I'm teaching, I'm like, we're living, we're laughing, we're loving, we're learning. The only times that I felt like a large wave of impending doom is like during my planning period, just because there's a lot of stuff to do and I'm one person. But today I finally got into a little, like we're in a groove, we're a couple days ahead, like we're starting to get things, which is a really cool feeling. Mm -hmm. We have a clip from I think when you were interviewing. Oh God. I think it was in June. So I'll put that in here. Who knows what it says? I don't remember. Me either. We'll all find out together later. Oh my God, I forgot to tell you. Tell me. So I went to visit the school, IRL, um, and it went super good. And then I was still kind of like, I am I refuse to count my blessings before I have them. But today HR called me <gasps> and was like, and the principal told me that they were gonna like re-interview me. And the guy was like, so I see the principal submitted a recommendation. So uh, this is your offer. What's your social <gasps> security number? And I was like, okay. Oh my God. So maybe I just gave away my social security to a random person, but. That's fine. So he scheduled like me to come do my fingerprints and then to do orientation. When is it? In August? No, so the way they do it's actually kind of cool. They have orientation twice a week all summer. So I'm going Oh, what the hell? They're hiring a lot, huh? Well, it's at the district office. So I think it's oh, like sometimes yeah. all of just them. like a one person, mm -hmm. you know? Like I think they they're like let's just do it all the time. Yeah. So I'm getting my fingerprints done on July 5th and then I'm doing orientation on July 11th. It's all happening. I know. <gasps> but do you have to work through June? Uh, my last day is going to be June 2nd. It was going to be June 9th. But then I thought about it and I was like, mm. Did you put in your two weeks? No, I'm doing it on Monday. <laughs> when can we talk about it on the podcast? I don't know. Maybe never. So that's the problem. I definitely want to talk about it. You'll understand what I don't want people to think I went back to teaching because I couldn't find something else. <laughs> So I'm like, I don't want to be like unemployed for how long and then be like, I decided to go back to teaching because that's what I would think about that. I'd be like, this bitch couldn't find another job. And I really don't want to have that narrative out there. You fully had another job though. And you were good at it. You just weren't passionate about it. So I think, I don't know. I thought about just saying like I'm on sabbatical or something, but I don't like lying. I support it all. You'll know. Your heart will guide you. Exactly. That's what I figured. I'm so excited for you. I'm excited too. The kids at the school were surprisingly nice. This, so this okay. to me was the biggest green flag is that not one, but two separate children walked straight up to the principal and made fun of his outfit. Oh my God, yes. That is such a green flag. Right? Yes. My sister was like, I don't think that's a green flag. And I was like, no, it Why? is. Because she was like, the kids make fun of the staff. And I was like, no, that's that's good. It's camaraderie. That's what we like. And he made fun of them back. Oh, I love it. It's my love language. Right? My principal listening to this is just the eyes emoji. <laughs> 
I have no clue what it says. What was I going to ask you? So yeah, interview me. We've been talking about this for a very long time. We have. You have been very much a part of this process. Like you were in the Microsoft Teams meeting when I got interviewed emotionally. I remember you planning to go back. Yeah. Because people were like, how can you hate from outside the club when you can't even get in, basically? When our podcast was just starting a year ago, people were like a little salty. But then I was like, well, hang on, wait six months. And here we are. And the great thing about the teaching club is that there's never a line. You can always get in right away because there's always a lot of space. And they're never at capacity at club teacher. So it's always a reliable place to go. It's so true. You and I have known that I was going back for a while. I did not tell the interwebs that I was going back for a while because I started thinking about it really like fall of 22 when I started to see everyone go back to school and I was getting FOMO, which I think is really normal. I've, I talked to some other like teacher quitters and they were like, yeah, I get FOMO every year, but it just like wasn't going away. Like even even after all the first day of school Instagram posts were done, it just wasn't going away. And like I was working in my corporate real estate job, which like was not bad at all. Like the people I worked with were really nice. I got to be myself at work. I got my little MacBook. I could go to work and a lot of days I would literally just like scroll on my phone and be chilling. Like I got pretty good pay for what it was, but I just every day felt like so awful because my job was literally, and my job also changed over the time that I was there. I just knew my whole job was to make more money for rich people. And I was really good at it. And I was good at working with them. And I really liked a lot of them. But I was like, I just feel like I'm wasting so much time. Like I would get Mm -hmm. home and I was like, I did nothing all day. Like I literally just answered people's emails of questions that they can Google. And like, I just felt like, I don't want to like hype myself up, but I felt like I was just like wasting so much potential where it was like, yeah, I'm good at this, but I don't love it. And I can be great at something else. And I just like, the more I thought about it, I realized like, just because my school had a lot of issues, I was treated horribly by my administrators. The education system is a mess. At the end of the day, I love teaching history to high schoolers and I shouldn't be robbed of that just because all of these other factors are a mess because the core tenant of that job is working with kids and teaching them history. And that's what I really like to do. So I kind of got like a little bit of a fight spirit in me and I was like, this is bullshit. Like I shouldn't be missing out on a job that I'm good at is really important and is enjoyable for me a lot of the time just because the world doesn't value it. And so I moved very far to teach. I literally looked at teacher pay all around a couple different areas because I was like, if I want this to be my career, it needs to have pay that I'm comfortable with. It needs to have a livable wage. I need to be at a school. Like I had a list of things that were really important to me. And that's why I didn't tell people I was thinking about going back because I knew unless I could find a position that checked off the boxes I had, I wasn't going back because I didn't want to be here unless it was in a way where I knew that I was going to be happy and take care of myself. And that just was not the case in Florida for my experience, especially when I looked at the longevity of it. Like the district I work in now, my pay is not light years above what it was before, but I'm going to get raises every single year. And they like value us enough to try and keep us there by giving us those raises. And most districts in Florida don't do that. So when I'm looking five years down the line, 10 years down the line, I just like needed somewhere that was going to be sustainable because that's like what I deserve and what every educator deserves. Amen. I'm wondering like how you processed the following because I feel like I went through the FOMO like and I still am going through the FOMO. I still get weepy and cry because I miss it. But I I feel like there is an element of me trying to unpack a couple of things. One Am I addicted to a toxic cycle? Oh, I that's, yeah. Like the way that I used to be addicted to toxic relationships where I was like, I needed the high highs and the low lows. I had to be like, is that why I liked teaching? Because like the wins are so great, but then, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I had to unpack was, is this my only personality trait? Is this an identity career for me? Or is it 
actually something that I want to do because I am passionate about it and I love it. And like, I know that I've landed on the side of this is actually what I want to be doing and where I want to be. But like, how did you process that? So I would say yes to all three of those things. That was something I actually talked to my sister a lot about when I first left is I was like, I was like, I'm having an identity crisis. Like I, being a teacher is such an identity job. When you tell people at parties that you're a teacher, they always have a million things to talk to you about. Like it's just, it's such a big part of your identity. So that was really hard to process it not being anymore. And then for me, it was also kind of like extra complicated. And I'm sure for you as well, where I have this teacher following that is really important to me. So in a way, it is still a part of my identity. And I, my sister was saying like, you really have to work hard to kind of like decouple that from your identity. And I realized after a while, the more I tried to move away from that being my identity, the less genuine I felt. So I kind of came to the conclusion like, yeah, I do think I might be in a toxic relationship with teaching. And I do think like I live off the drama, like my office job was a little too boring for me. I worked in restaurants before this, which is also very high drama. And it makes it to me like I like being on my feet all day. I like thinking on my feet. Like I think it's somewhat of a personality trait. But I also think like it is a job where there is an element of toxicity to it that I probably am in a cycle of repeating. But I also think that's true of any job. So it's kind of like pick your poison. So the more I kind of realized like as I tried to remove teacher from my identity, it felt wrong. Like it felt like I was giving up something that's right for me and that I'm passionate about. And like it really like it felt like a death, like as dramatic as that is. But like when I tried to think of myself like, oh, when and I'm about to cry thinking about it now. Why am I going to cry? No, like when I thought like, you're not a teacher, you'll never do that again. I was like, that just feels so wrong. Like, that's just not right. And the more I, because I'd always said like, maybe I'll go back to teaching one day when I'm, if I'm rich, maybe I'll go back to teaching, whatever. The more I realized like, ugh, unfortunately, I'm called to like the most dramatic career ever. It's so annoying. (laughs) No, I'm, so this is one thing I was talking to my friend about because I went out with her the other day or a couple weeks ago before school started. And I was like, I'm pissed that the job I feel called to, I literally, like, the government yells at me all the time. We barely get paid. Like, this is bullshit. And my friend is an artist. And she goes, how do you think I fucking feel? The only thing that makes me happy is doing art. And you don't make any fucking money for years doing that. And I was like, that's so true. Like, I really think you're called to what you're called to. And I was like, damn, at least my calling has health insurance. Honest to God. And (laughs) I, I was in theater for so long. I wasn't even in film or commercial or voiceover. I was doing fucking stage theater and I remember being like I hate this and I I do feel like there was the same kind of thing where it's like an identity career everybody around you was so passionate about it but in contrast to how I feel about teaching I felt like an imposter in that space even though I grew up doing theater mm-hmm. and teaching theater and being extremely immersed in it for over a decade like I still felt I don't know I, I didn't feel like I felt about teaching with it I felt like I was addicted to the drama. I feel like I was just doing it because oh, everybody's going to judge me if I quit. I remember when I quit theater to go to get my teaching credential, asking one of my best friends, would you still be my friend if I quit acting? And she was like, what the fuck are you talking about? She was like, that actually has no bearing on whether we're friends or anything in my life. So why would I care? But like, I, it was that level of like, yeah. but it's also like I've said a million times, it's like, am I ever going to get hired again? Because how can I advocate from inside the classroom? Because nobody fucking listens to us inside the classroom. And we can get fired if we say what we actually think from inside the classroom. That's the other thing that I went through is like talking to veteran teachers, sometimes through this podcast, through mutuals on social media. I really like reframed in my mind what, being a good teacher is and that like made me able to go back I think when I had my like first rendezvous in this career field I had extremely 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 unrealistic expectations of myself and people around me and I took it really really personal when things didn't go well because I wanted everything to be absolutely perfect for my students and that is too painful of a headspace to be in if you're going to be a teacher. Like, it's terrible, but, like, if you think too deeply about the woes that you're going through, like, that's why I burned myself out because I would think about my students deserve to have X, Y, and Z, but I kind of had to reframe that for myself because I kind of decided, like, okay, and when we're talking about advocating inside the classroom, 
to me, at this point, what advocating inside the classroom looks like is being an effective history teacher for my students because they're trying to push passionate qualified, educated people out of the classroom. So if all I do is go in every day and do the best I can with the resources that I have, that is an act of advocacy. And it's been hard. I've been there a couple weeks now and it's something that I have to remind myself of a lot is like the problems in this building are not my fault and they're not my problem to solve. My room is what I can worry about. And so I cannot let myself get stressed out about things that are not within my control. Like hopefully no one might me sharing this because it's it's and I don't want to make it out like oh I left my old school and now my new school is butterflies sunshines and rainbows at the end of the day I'm still teaching in a school in a broken education system we have issues and one of the things that we are dealing with right now is they want the kids to take pre-test towards the beginning of the school year so we can pull data on them great cool we have not gotten the resources we need to be able to give those tests for technology reasons, for like district scheduling, transportation, delayed shipments. Like it's nobody's fault. We're just in the situation that we're in. And I was thinking back like me two years ago or like three years ago, I would have been in knots over it. The fact that I I didn't give them this assessment that I was supposed to give them, I would have felt like such a failure that I couldn't do what I viewed to be my job. But I kind of just had to remind myself a lot like this week when we've been dealing with this that like the children are not going to benefit from this test. It's to pull data. In some ways, it'll be helpful for me as a teacher, but it really at the end of the day is not going to make a huge difference to them. So I don't need to stress myself out about it because the people that want the data pulled, if it was that important to them, they would be making it happen. And it's not my job to make that happen. And like, that's a headspace I I can't even imagine being in at my previous school. That's just not where I was. But I've kind of realized like, it shouldn't be this way, but it's my responsibility to prevent my own burnout. So it's my responsibility to be objective about those things and try not to take it personally as hard as that is. That's valid. I mean, how many times have I been told, just shut your door and teach? Yeah. Like what's happening in your room is what you can control and of course there are laws and bills right now that are trying to take that autonomy away but also like I'm glad that you brought up the advocacy thing because of course you can advocate for change loudly and very vocally from outside of your classroom but often that's not an option for teachers that are in the classroom or for a lot of the educators in Florida for example advocacy looks like being a solid reliable person from inside of your classroom for your students and sure like fighting when necessary like picking and choosing your battles in a way something I worry about a lot when I'm squawking is that people think I'm genuinely like if you disagree with the system get out of the system because that's not what I'm saying at all like obviously that leaves our students with nothing and no one and I also don't want to say that because of course a lot of people are like well I left for my own mental wellness like I just couldn't be there I can't stand it and it's that's also valid like it's such an individual decision and I think it's also something that like when you say it's an individual thing it's also individual on the stage of your life like right now I'm in a place where I feel good teaching full-time and I could see where in the future maybe I might not be in that place again and like I just I think it's it's really normal and acceptable because teaching is a very hard field it's hard like it is a job that takes a lot out of you emotionally and physically in a lot of ways so I I think it should just be really normal for people to do it for a couple of years, then leave for a couple of years, then do it for a couple of years. Because I think especially in the conditions we're in, for a lot of people, it's really not sustainable to be a 20, 30 year career. And I think that that's also the way our world is changing. People don't have the same job for their entire career the way they did more commonly 50 years ago. And ultimately, like, what was the deciding factor for me? Like, what you were saying about, like, what a good teacher looks like. Like, this is going to come across really cocky, but I know that I am very, very talented at teaching U.S. history. That's the thing that I've done where I felt the most in my element. And I, this is dramatic, and I know I'm biased, but I think your 11th grade U.S. history teacher has a huge weight on their shoulders of informing you about the history of the country you're living in. And I think that it does a ton to create the way you view the systems you're in, the way you view the world around you, the way you view your interaction with those systems. And I think, like I said earlier, I felt like a calling and a responsibility to do that. Because when I thought about when I'm working in corporate, I like to think about the ripple effect of like how much of a difference am I making to people? And when I was working in corporate, I felt like I was making 
a huge difference to a few small people. And then when I think about like teaching high school, I have 50, 75, 80 kids on my roster that like thinking about how I'm I'm sure they don't care this much. Like I'm sure if my students were listening to this, they're gonna be like, girl, we're literally watching Netflix while you teach. So tone it down. But like teaching them about like their the history of the country you're in, I think is just really empowering to be able to know about that. Like I've seen it in schools I've been in and in schools that people have told me about where kids learn US history just from like reading a textbook or cheating on Kahoot quizzes or things like that. It just makes me really sad because I think it's like a really big missed opportunity. Absolutely. And I think like being in a place where one feels able to be in the classroom and teaching something as highly contested as social studies or history, like, or even just like being in a school at all right now, it's something that's also a privilege for you and I is like, we're straight white women and like our identity for the most part, is not under attack. Like, yes, women are under attack, but, like, we're teaching... In the school setting, like, we're the majority. The leadership looks like us. The leadership sees themselves in us when they're observing us and all those things. Right. So it's like, if we were queer or people of color or whatever, like, I think things would be different. But Mm -hmm. we are in the position that I don't feel like I go into work every day and feel under attack. So, like, I think it's really important to you that if you feel so called to to teach accurate history to teach literacy to teach whatever because something I was having a conversation about this morning I just started grad school this week is the idea that research methods and data analysis and media literacy those types of things especially for our generation because we didn't really learn it in school now it's kind of behind a paywall in the sense that if you want to gain a deeper understanding of how research data and the media works you need to go to higher education and that's not an opportunity for everyone and like even just the privilege to be able to seek out learning on your own like that's still from a place of privilege so it's like to be able to go into a classroom and teach the next generation like like what they need to know to be equipped to discern between accurate and inaccurate data and correlation versus causation and all of that shit that a lot of adults on Facebook aren't grasping. That's also extremely important. And I'm glad that like there are teachers like you doing it. I was just talking about the other day in my department meeting that I want to find a time to do a lesson of having students identify AI photos versus real photos and then trying to see like how they can figure that out. Because I think like that is going to be a huge part of media and news literacy. And when I look at the curriculum that teachers are given, it's just not there like teachers are just not equipped to give students what they need and so I think like having people in the field that like you said are able to do the advocacy of being there and being passionate and doing what they came to do is a really powerful thing and it's a really really important thing and like picking the hills you want to die on and ultimately like I've just kind of had to decide that like to be back in this field I need to be in the space of Like, I don't need to die on every hill. And a lot of these problems I didn't create and I can't solve. So I can, I just need to focus on what I can do, which is within my little cement walls. So you were talking about privilege earlier and it reminded me of this. So one thing that I want to say is like, for me to re-enter the classroom has been like an experience, uh, especially financially. I'm very lucky that I'm in a financial position to do this. But if I was living paycheck to paycheck, there's no way that I could be. And granted, I did move across state lines, which was very expensive. But even without that, everyone does their pay differently. But I've heard this is a very common story with people, and it's the case in my district as well. You get hired, but because your pay is like on 12 months, your first paycheck when you're a new hire doesn't come until much, much later. So I had to go a pretty long time without income because, you know, you have your orientation, you have the new teacher orientation, you have stuff that goes on for new hires before the first day of school. So like I am going to be paid for all of that time. It wasn't like they were expecting free labor of me, which is another thing. My district expects a lot less free labor than what I'm used to, which I'm really enjoying. But anyway, I've had to go a long time without a paycheck. And I was able to do that because I don't have kids. I financially planned for this. I started aggressively saving money so that I could move and go back to teaching, knowing how long it was going to be before I had a paycheck. And that's the other part. 
I thankfully had reached out to some teachers when I was job hunting and just kind of called them was like, what's the low on this district? Do you like it? What have you heard about this school? And someone told me, hey, just a heads up, this was very surprising to me when I got hired, you don't get your paycheck for this amount of time. And that was before I had quit my corporate job. So I had I started saving very aggressively. But a lot of people did not find that out until we were at orientation. So imagine the people that just graduated college, like, it's a very, very difficult situation to be in financially. And then that's also like financial stress takes a toll on your entire being. And that's not the headspace you want a new teacher in. It's really just not. To be stressed out about money, like the first couple weeks of school are so hard. So to add financial stress on top of it is just, I think we're doing such a disservice. And when we say, oh, there's a teacher shortage, everyone is quitting. Let's look at what it's taking to get people in the door. You guys are saying not enough people are applying. Let's dig deeper into that. Let's look at why. Most people cannot afford to go over a month without a paycheck. Most people cannot deal with those things. If you don't have secondary income, family money, a spouse with stable income, like to be a young single professional and to teach is almost impossible. And that's the other thing. I moved in with my boyfriend. We moved here together. So my bills got dramatically cut. If I was still living on my own, I could not afford to be a teacher. No, I remember when I tell the story about when I was driving Postmates for Q-tips and for $12 so I could eat dinner, that was the beginning of the school year. Because I remember I had just come off of student teaching, so I hadn't been able to work for a full year. So I was getting the TEACH grant, which I think was $4,000 per semester, and I was living off of that. I had a little bit of money over the summer from like working a job, but just enough to like pay my rent and live my life. Well, my mom also had to help me pay my rent that summer because I didn't realize that I was gonna have to wait until fucking September to get a paycheck. I remember I had a mom come into my room and she was like, oh, you need a rug for in here. And I was like, I don't have money for a rug and you're not gonna buy me a rug. What ended up happening was I did have to buy a rug. I had to spend $180 on some rug. I would have stapled together a bunch of t-shirts. I mean, I didn't know about sit spots then. I didn't know that I could have just put tape on the floor. I didn't know anything at that point. Yeah. So I was like, I guess I'm driving Postmates again. Like, I, <laughs> your well, no Uber has arrived. Right, exactly. I mean, it was just bonkers to to be in that position and you know like you get some hand-me-downs from other teachers but then it's like oh you need to get notebooks or folders for the kids for whatever reason and you're like I I fucking can't so yeah that is a really good point that's the other trap that like my debit card has been getting a workout the last couple of weeks. She is tired. People on this podcast have talked about it. I've seen it everywhere. Teachers often get put in this position where you're spending money kind of because you have to, but also kind of because it's just going to make your life so much easier. So like, yeah, you could use the school tape and put it on the floor, but like, you know, you're going to give better instruction if you have X. You know, it's going to save you so much time if you have X. So you're kind of stuck where you're like, yeah, I can use what I got and not spend money or I can spend $10, $20, $30 and get this thing that I know I'm going to be happier with. I feel more comfortable using. And me, the thing that always gets me is time. I'm always willing to spend money for something that will save me time. And like when you work in a school, what you're given is rarely the most efficient way to do something. No, they're going to give you rose art crayons and number one pencils, not a Ticonderoga in sight. So this is something that I did the other day. So my district, one thing I really do like about them is they pay for a lot of technology tools for us. So that's cool. I'm saving a lot of money on that because I used to always just pay out of pocket. But one specific one that I really like that they didn't buy is the um, Quizlet Premium. And I like the premium one because then you can export a Quizlet set and then I can put it into any game in like two seconds. So literally, and you can look up on Quizlet by standard. So I can literally look up the standard, get all the vocab with pictures and do like five clicks. Boom, it's a look at game. We're having the time of our lives. And you have to have the premium one to do that. So I wasn't gonna buy it because I was like, I'm not spending my own money anymore. I'm a changed woman. But then I was like, all right, it's $30 a year. $30 for me to save like a good 20 minutes a day because I like to do games and stuff with them a lot. So the time that it would take me to make that from scratch, I'm like, yeah, take this money. So like things like that where like 
we're not given the best of the best that we deserve, we end, a lot of times end up getting it. I get it because I'm spoiled and I want it. There, <laughs> there are definitely better ways to spend your money than others. Like the cutesy aesthetic shit doesn't really need to be a thing. And if you want research to back that up, I will send you research to make you feel better. I spent $35 on an Nicki Minaj poster, but I don't regret it. I'm not saying I don't do that. <laughs> I do. My first year teaching, I didn't do it because I didn't have the money to do it. But I also worked at a school that was Reggio based. So nobody had shit on their walls in the beginning of the year. You know what I mean? Like, And I have to thank you for teaching me about your boy Reggio or whoever that is. For open house... They were like, decorate your rooms. And I just, it wasn't the way I wanted it to be in time. That's really the gist of the story. And no one said anything because my admin isn't toxic and they wouldn't do that because I'd literally worked there for like three days. But because I'm traumatized, I was expecting them to come around and yell at me for it not being perfectly decorated because that would have happened at my last school. And my plan was that I was just going to say that I was doing the Reggio Emilio and be like, well, I'm going to have the kids decorate it. And that's actually research based. But they never came around and say, said anything mean. They actually came by and were really nice and gave me school supplies. Loris Malaguzzi. I don't know how to say that. He founded it after World War II, which is your favorite time to found things. It is my favorite time to found things. Today, actually, I was like apologizing that what we were learning was really boring because it was. And then I was like, you guys, when we get to World War II, and I was like foaming at the mouth and they were like, shut up. They were like, <laughs> literally, we don't care. And I really, I like every time I'm with them, I'm like, yeah, this is definitely the job for me. I can never have a different job because I was making them do this really long assignment. Why? I had a good reason. We don't need to get into it, but it was kind of boring. So I was like, if you guys want to listen to music, that's fine. You can listen on your little headphones, your little ear pods. And one of them, she literally raises her hand and goes, do you mind if I watch Madagascar on my phone while I work on this? Did you say, honey, I will put it on the projector for you. No, I said, so what I'm going to say to you is that I don't mind if you have your AirPods in to listen to music and I'm not going to look that hard. Yeah. And she did the yeah. whole assignment. And when I thought about it, I was like, I do put Vanderpump rules on the projector during my planning period while I do work. So... Like, we weren't taking a test. We weren't, like, doing anything. Like, that was super secure. It was just some documents that they needed to learn that were written in very, very old English. So, like, whatever, man. Put your Madagascar on. Like, you're 17 and you had to live through COVID already. So, I wish I could have a giant iPad of me that was, like, connected to my body. And it was just playing Subway Surfer so that they could pay attention to me while I was talking. Donor's shoes? <laughs> Donor's shoes, life-size iPad for Subway Surfer. My post-COVID high school students won't really pay attention to me i have this great idea okay but i really think it would work <laughs> no it would it would work on me i would look at you way more if you had that behind you do you have more notes for us let me find my notes i was telling stories and then i got distracted we'll take an ad break while redacted finds her notes thanks for listening to an ad i hope you like it want to talk about my corporate job. Basically, a lot of things happened that very much like disillusioned me to corporate America. Actually, disillusioned isn't the right word because like I never... You were never illusioned. No, yeah, I was never illusioned. Like I was never like, this is an amazing place where we're making a difference. I came in with it with the logic of like, this company exists to make money my individual role is not a sales role. So my job is to make a difference to the people I work with because my role was focused, especially on like training real estate agents to use technology to help their business. So I was like, cool, I like technology. I like, especially real estate agents, a lot of them are women. A lot of them are doing it as a side hustle or a second career. So at first I really liked it because I got to work with people and it's cool to work with people who like want to learn something and it's like valuable to them. Cause obviously children like don't give a shit. So if you have paid attention to the news at all, the real estate market has is not the same as it was a couple years ago. I worked in real estate when I first started there. People were making tons and tons of money. And then when I left, it was like not bad, but not nearly as good. So there was just like a big sense of stress in the air. But a couple months after I got hired, they announced they were gonna be doing this big training. And so my department was gonna get cross-trained into all these other things. And I was like, that's cool because I was like a brand new employee. So I was like, any Anything I want to learn. I knew this wasn't a forever job. So I was like, cool, this is training for my resume experience that I'll be getting. Like I was happy about it. And they, it was especially marketing training. So they had the marketing team kind of training my team. And then 
almost immediately after this training ended. And again, it was like, I can't remember how many weeks it was, but it was like two or three months. It was very long where we had like sessions every single week. It was like a pretty intense process and they would give us fake work to see how we were doing. And then we had like a buddy system. So your buddy would help you. Like it was really, I learned a lot through this process and I'm still grateful for it because I learned a lot about marketing that's helped me with like stream and this podcast and just my life in general. But shortly after we finished that training, they announced, layoffs. And the way they did it was like very Hunger Games chaotic. We got a company-wide email at 11 a.m. that said you will be receiving a calendar invite within the next hour if this is going to affect you. If you do not receive an invite, you're good. Which I understand if you're a publicly traded company, you cannot announce layoffs privately. You have like a legal obligation to announce it publicly. But I felt like the way they did it of the within the next hour, you'll receive a calendar invite was just like, I was thankful I was in a meeting for most of it. So by the time I saw the email, it was like 11.55, so I only had like five minutes of agony. But in that round of layoffs, they laid off almost every single marketing person. They laid off like a solid 70% of our marketing staff. And again, like I get it, it's a business need. But what really, really, really bothered me is senior leadership at this company had a, like an all hands meeting a couple days later to discuss the layoffs and changes and all of that. And they literally looked at us and said, oh, these layoffs had nothing to do with that training. And to me, that is just such blatant gaslighting. And I think what it was is I always try and think about stuff from the other people's perspective because I think it's rare for someone to be like, I'm gonna gaslight and lie to them. I think it's really rare for someone to genuinely have that thought. So I think from their perspective, like six months prior, they had been like, "Mm, we're probably gonna need to downsize our employees. We should cross train a lot of people. And then in the future, if we have to lay people off, everybody's already cross trained. That's what I think their plan was. And then it just kind of coincided. I think the timing happened a lot closer together than they had anticipated. And I wish that they had just said that because I wouldn't have been offended if they said that because I understand like you're running a business. We're not here for fun. Like if it's not making money, you have to reduce your staff size. I get it. But to have them look at us and be like, no, the layoffs had nothing to do with the cross training. And I was like, oh, okay. So what we got cross trained in, those are the people that got laid off. And you're gonna literally look at me and tell me that's just a dink. I just felt so gaslit, which happens in teaching too, but it was just so blatant that everyone's motivation was money, which is fine. It's just not who I am. I got kind of chewed out because our CEO would often talk about like stock price and the stock price of the company. And I very innocently asked, why would I care about the stock price? Like all of your employees, we got our benefits cut. No one's getting raises. For six months, they could not tell us if we were going to get bonuses or not because they hired a new CFO and they couldn't work the budget out. So for six months, I had no idea if I was getting a bonus or not. And my bonus wasn't a huge part of my compensation plan, but for some people, it's like 30 or 40% of their compensation. So that's crazy to not tell them that. So to me, it was like, you have your employees going through this stuff. Our customer rosters are so much bigger. You've cut our health insurance benefits. You've cut our tuition reimbursement. You've cut our fitness reimbursement. And again, I'm not mad at you for doing those things. You're running a business. I understand it. And to me, I was like, I left teaching because I was tired of getting treated shittily by my employer. If I'm in corporate America and selling my soul to just make more money for rich people, I need to be respected and treated like a professional. And I also saw my role getting really deprofessionalized. I was always hourly, but I found out that they had made the change from salary to hourly like a year before they hired me. And I just saw it going more and more that way. Like it used to be like, oh, you can take a long lunch, no big deal. You wanna leave? early, no big deal. And then as like time went on, it was more like you were 15 minutes late, you need to clock in late. It was like, oh, you're off to leave for a doctor's appointment, you need to log that as PTO. And it just started getting stricter and stricter and stricter. And I really saw that leadership was acting in a place of fear about money. And I am not a person that is motivated by money. So after a while, I was like, I can't be in an environment where this is the driving force. And for me, if I'm getting paid well and treated well, I can kind of ignore my feelings. But the fact that I had crossed a year mark and I still didn't get a raise, 
sprays. Oh, this was the other thing that was upsetting to me. I didn't do as well on my performance evaluation as I felt like I should, especially because like my manager went on maternity leave, they restructured the department. So I never really had like a solid manager for a long time. Like, and I had asked for feedback multiple times. Like I'd been like, if I'm doing anything, let me know, I wanna get better, I wanna get better. The whole time I worked there, no one ever gave me negative feedback in like an official way, like a manager or training. There were obviously times when a customer was like, do this instead, or like, try it this way. But no one ever was like, you're doing X and I need you to do Y. So the fact that on my evaluation, I only got meets expectations was really upsetting to me because I had all year been asking for more feedback and been like, I wanna exceed expectations, tell me how to do better. And so I took it kind of personally, and then I spoke to someone in leadership about it. I appreciate this woman for her honesty. She had worked there for years and she said, I have never done well on an evaluation. It is because your evaluation is tied to your bonus amount and I feel that they rate us low on purpose so they do not have to pay out large bonuses. And so then I was like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> like it was around that is when I started to really look for other jobs because I was like, don't like... No, like I was gaslit so bad in education that I'm just like not gonna put up with it anymore, especially for something that I don't care about. Like I quite literally don't care if this company makes money. I remember my manager, I said that in a meeting and they were shocked because I said, why would I care if this company achieved profitability? And they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, do I get the money? And they were like, but isn't it important to you to see the company grow? And I was like, literally no. And I always thought in corporate America, that's how everybody felt and they were just making it up. So to hear that people genuinely in their spirit care about this company's stock price when they don't even own company stock, I was like, you guys like really need psychological help and I'm not the one to give it to you. And I just felt like, like what I've said before, like I'm willing to be treated kind of shitty if I feel like I'm making a difference in the world, but if I feel like I'm making the world a worse place, which I felt like I did, the housing market was getting so much more expensive. The rates of homelessness in Miami were going up dramatically. I was struggling to pay my own bills for housing. So I was like, I, I can either get treated well and make the world a worse place, or I can get treated shitty and make the world a better place. But I'm not gonna get treated shitty and make the world a worse place. That's just bananas. When I first started at the company, it was like, we treat all customers the same. We don't care if they're bringing in $1,000 or $10 million, like you give them all the best service. And then after a while, because they had laid off so much staff, that just wasn't feasible. So they started segmenting our customers by how much money they were bringing in. And I would give different ser different service offerings based on how much money they would bring in. And I just found that to be really like nasty. And that's just like not who I am because a big part of my job was teaching people how to use technology to make their real estate business better, like how to send out emails, how to do client engagement with technology. So to have someone who was like nice and respectful, always on time, would take notes, ask really good questions, like really like worked hard and be told you have to ignore them and go help this person who curses, is late to every single meeting, will just throw their computer at you and say, you figure it out, I'm leaving, goodbye. So to like not be able to serve people equitably was really just like, it made me feel like shit about myself every day. And then they also kind of changed the structure of instead of it being like a one-on-one -on -one or small group trainings, it was more focused on like sales enablement. And then we had like people in La La corporate land making videos for training, which is a much cheaper business model to have like people watch videos to learn something. So then like my customer roster got a lot bigger because I wasn't supposed to be providing training to these people. I'm just providing sales enablement. So if they have a problem with something, they come to me. So it went from being like, I'm a resource and I felt like an educator still in a way to it being like, I felt like I was just doing customer service for things that are very Googleable. And like, yeah, I know y'all are busy and you make a lot of money. You don't want to have to sit there and Google it. You just want to text me and I'll solve it for you. But that's just not who I am. And I don't think it's very efficient. I mean, it's like so opposite from what we do at school. Yeah. And that's why I was like, even though school has the nastiness of like, we never have enough money, we're so underfunded, we're so exploited. At least we all know how much we're making and we know the pay scale we're on and how much you make for what. Because another situation that happened is I found out one of my peers was making almost 20 grand less than a lot of the other ones of us just because they hadn't negotiated for more. And I was like, I'm not a negotiator, I'm not a salesperson, I want to come to work and do work. I don't wanna have to fight to get what I deserve. So 
in some ways, I'm like, it's kind of appealing to just be like, this is how much the pay is very cut and dry. It should be more, but at least I don't have this fear that I'm getting undercut. Because once I found that out, I started getting like green eyed monster and I would be looking at my coworkers and be like, she always has designer bags. Maybe they're paying her way more than they're paying me. Like it just, it turned me into someone that I just like didn't like. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's also like so weird. Yeah. And like it also, I really hated it because when I was first getting hired, I tried to negotiate for more and they were like, well, this is the standard rate for what this position is. This is how much this position pays in this office. And I was like, okay, cool. And I took it because it was still a significant raise from what I was making teaching in Florida. I later found out that they negotiated with you based on your previous pay. So because I had been a teacher, they looked up my pay. So they knew I was going to take it. So that just also made me feel nasty that I was like, you know. No, yeah, that's yucky. I'm still really glad I took that job because I learned so much there. And a lot of the people I worked with were so, so, so incredible and like were so fun to work with. And I really did have a lot of fun a lot of days there. But the things I disliked about it were not a symptom of just that company. I think that's very widespread in corporate culture because I did start looking for other corporate positions. I got another offer, but I saw similar red flags there that I just decided it's like... These things that I dislike are going to be palpable anywhere and I just don't want to really like give my time and energy to that because I don't think it's making like a positive impact on anyone and it's just making me feel icky. Yeah, like it was not for you. Yeah, I think a lot of aspects of the actual job were like a lot of actual aspects of my job I really did enjoy. I liked teaching people well, were good at to it. use their technology. I liked hosting the little Zoom classes and being on camera with my little ring light in my closet office, but just the overall culture and the goals of the company were just like not aligned with who I am as a person. Like I just didn't feel good working for an organization that's goals were so opposite of mine, especially because I worked in luxury real estate. It was just hard to feel like this company is moving the world in a direction I don't think we should be going. And even though I'm not personally responsible for that, witnessing it every day is really fucking annoying. I think it's even more than annoying too. Like it can be like actually draining on a person. Ultimately, it just like wasn't really driving with me. And I really don't, and I haven't named the company because I genuinely do think it is like one of the better places of evil corporate America. Like I think a lot of the people that work there are very kind spirited. And I do think the CEO, like I think all CEOs are a little bit evil. It's just like in the nature of the job. But I do think that of CEOs, he is one of the kinder ones that I have met. He really does make an effort to speak to employees. I also really respect when they laid people off, him and his entire executive team, they now fly coach. And he pays for his own plane tickets to go visit offices because he like, I don't know, he made a statement about it one time about like doing the math of like how much the flying private or first class was costing versus number of salaries of people they had to lay off. So like to see a six foot two guy who's on a plane four days a week flying in coach every day, I'm like, you are not a bad person if you care enough to do that. So it really was like, it was what I needed at the time. And I learned a ton and I don't regret working there at all. And I wish like positive things for that company and 99% of the people in it. But it's just like the nature of what corporate America is. And from what I'm hearing on the internet, my experience is not unique. I think a lot of companies were really financially flourishing in like 2020, 2021. And so they were treating their employees a lot better than they are now. And I think it's just kind of the nature of the economy and the market and all of that. I'm just not the type of person that can handle those changes emotionally. Like I really value stability and I really value like being able to rely on my employer. So it was kind of like the poison you know versus the poison you don't. Like I know in schools, I'm gonna get treated kind of shitty all the time. But I know that and I can plan around it. So just like the ever-changingness just got to be like, I was just done. You know, I was just done. If you're going to get treated like shit, might as well collect a paycheck. I've, I feel like I've said that a million times. Exactly. And I was like, y'all pay me $35 an hour and you're treating me like you pay me 70 So I'm going to need you to be a little fucking nicer. And they took away our snacks. And I said, that was fucking stupid. I said, I spent years working at hotels and restaurants Food availability is so important. I know you think 
These people are rich. They can buy their own snack. But that guy that makes $800,000 a year in commission, you have no idea how important that fucking granola bar is to him because he doesn't have to think about it. Now he can just come in. He knows the granola bars are there. So if we take the fucking granola bars, it's really going to fuck with these people's day. And they were like, you're so dramatic. And literally from the day they took them away, it was our number one complaint for months and months and months after they had taken away other stuff that you'd think would be way more impactful. Like they took away marketing services and people were still more angry about the granola bars. Fucking with people's food is never a good idea. Exactly. One thing I learned from working at hotels that I've really taken like into the classroom and I think I'll take in any job of my life. One of the best ways to get people to a place is to have food readily available. It makes people feel comfortable. It makes them feel welcomed, it makes them feel accepted. And if you don't have food readily available, it's giving a hostile energy. Like this sounds so dramatic, but I really do believe this. I think when you don't have food for free available at events, it's giving, I don't care about you. I don't care to take care of you. Your needs are your problem and you're in charge of yourself. And I think when you have snacks available at a training, at a workshop, at an event, whatever, it shows people, I want you to be comfortable. I want you to feel well taken care of. I want you to have what you need while you're here. And I don't want you to have to worry about that because I want you to focus on your task. And I think that it's a really underestimated way to take care of your customers that's like shockingly cheap and easy customers workers all of it exactly well i'm glad that you're back doing something that you actually like doing anything else you want to talk about school related a little bit one is that when i started interviewing at schools which i really didn't interview at many i more just like did research on schools and emailed schools that I wanted to work at and was like, y'all hiring. Um, And I actually found my job on Facebook if anyone is looking for a teacher job. Once I decided what area of the country I was moving to, I went out and joined the like Teachers of Blank Facebook group. Teacher Facebook groups are like fucking critical to this country's survival. And I literally posted in the group, hey, I'm moving to this area. Does anyone know of any schools hiring for US history? I don't wanna teach anything except 11th grade US. And a woman commented that her school was and I messaged her and then that's how I ended up with my job, which was kind of cool. Wow, that's awesome. No, we love her. I had no idea that that was even a thing that was an option to do. Because originally I had just been emailing principals and they were like, oh, I'm not hiring for that. I can't, I don't know my budget yet, like whatever. And I feel like that's why I was able, because I locked my job down in like May. And I feel like that's why I was able to do it so early because instead of going through the district HR, I just went like straight to the school like once I had that Facebook message that I was on the phone with the principal within two days and did like one Microsoft Teams interview and whatever but when I was like looking at schools and in that interview I before I did it I made a list of like what is important to me in my teaching job and I think that that list is going to look super super different for everybody so I'll tell you what was on mine but by no means is this like the list you should use but I had a list of like what was important to me and what questions I wanted to ask and I decided like unless I feel a full yes from a school I'm just gonna waitress because like I'm not putting myself into a situation where I'm unhappy teaching it's bad for the kids it's bad for me it's not what I want to do here so my biggest things were class size and I asked the teachers, not the admin, I went to go visit the school in person. And the admin, actually, really great green flag of my admin, I asked him, what's the average class size? And he was like, oh, it kind of varies by year. And then he took me around and had me ask multiple teachers. Whoa, that's awesome. So for him to like, A, have the confidence in his staff that they're going to give an honest answer and he like wanted me to hear it from them and not from him was cool. So like my biggest one was class size was big to me. I asked about planning time, like their day-to-day bell schedule and planning time. And I specifically asked, do teachers often get called to meetings during planning time? Do you do your planning meetings during that planning time or a separate time? Kind of just like things that I had experienced and heard from other people on this podcast. I asked the principal, because he, he's been the principal for a while now. I said, what have you done since being principal here that you're most proud of? Because I think that that shows a lot about the direction the school is going and the passions of and priorities of that administrator. His was really cute. I won't tell you all the details because it would kind of dox my school, but it was about, he. it was really important to him to have the kids be able to do whatever clubs they wanted. And so some kids started a club that went on to do some really incredible cool stuff that he was very encouraging too. 
Um, I asked about their teacher retention. So I asked like, what's your turnover rate like most years? How long do most people stay? Because in my last school, usually about a third of our staff left every single year. And I asked just other basic questions around like, what does parent involvement look like here? And things like that. Everyone's going to have different things that they find important. Another big one to me that I, it was hard to ask because you can't really know till you're in it. But I was asking about like curriculum and freedom of that curriculum. So I was like, do you guys give a pacing guide? And then it's kind of up to me to make my own materials. Or do you have really specific materials that I'm required to use? Because I knew I didn't want to work when I didn't have instructional freedom. Like, obviously, I'm going to teach the standards, but I like to be able to integrate technology, do projects, do source analysis, things like that. And I know some districts are very strict. It's like, here's your PowerPoint, here's the assignments for them. And I didn't want to be in that environment. I wasn't before. And I'm not now it worked out what they said was true. But yeah, just like kind of thinking about what's important to me as an educator and being really intentional about asking those things and then also keeping an eye on like, how do people react to those questions? Like if someone seems taken aback or offended by any of those questions, that says a lot about them. Like if you're in an interview and you ask about class size and they're offended or taken aback, do not work there. No, do not work there. It's like the red flags for a bad relationship are kind of the same for the red flags for a school in my opinion. No, they really are. They really are. I'm glad you wrote down the questions do you ask of course they also this was very you know me I like don't want to like talk ill of this person but the principals walked me to the room of the person I was replacing which was kind of awkward because they had already taken a new position in another district I could just tell from the aura of the room I was like yeah I see why you're leaving it was a very like patriotic essence and to me if you're teaching U.S. history and you still feel patriotic after teaching that for one year Like, did you not read it? Have you looked at the textbook? Like, how did you learn all of that material, teach it to students, and still pick the American flag bulletin board paper? Like, why did you pick that one? I think U.S. history teachers being patriotic is the biggest red flag of all time. You're so right for that. I'm like laughing because it's true. I've had very, very patriotic U.S history teachers but then around the time of like 2016 turns out it made perfect sense it was a red flag yeah it always is because what I always tell my students because they've asked me before like why don't you have any American flag stuff up and I'm like listen what I'm about to tell you it's gonna be shocking to you like (laughs) imagine if like a health inspector was wearing like a I love McDonald's t-shirt I'm like you're not gonna go in there and give an unbiased opinion dude like you're not the U.S. has done some stuff in our history history that's dope. Like we have truly like broken some barriers. Some Americans have done some incredible, incredible things that made an amazing difference to the world. But we've also done a lot of stuff that was really not dope and actually ruined a lot of people's lives in mass for generations. We still do that. Yeah. That's happening previously right now and probably in the future. I have a little flag. I have a little, like the little ones they give you at parades. I have one of those. I have pride one of those on my mantle right now. I'm getting district observed for the first time tomorrow. And this is my new strategy. I'll let you guys know on the podcast how it goes. I would prefer to be alone. So what my strategy is, is when district personnel comes in my room, I'm going to be so excited to involve them in my lesson because they wanted to come and be hands-on. So let's get your hands on. Like you're my co-teacher now. You're working with group purple and we're doing primary source analysis. Let's be hands-on. You said you wanted to be in the schools. You're here now. Let's live, laugh, learn. Because this is my logic is one of two things will happen. Either they'll be into it and then they'll be like, wow, that's so great. Or they'll hate it so much, but they will know that they can't say they hate it because that's what they said they wanted. So then they'll just avoid me at all costs. So like either way, I'm going to come out on top. Hell yeah. I love being observed. The world is my stage. Come to the show, bitch. I have a fucking gold karaoke mic in my classroom. The third graders were extra confused by it, but the kindergartners are afraid of it. So I don't know. Confused, afraid. You know the staples button that you press and it says, that was easy. I want that button, but it makes the DJ noises. It's like, I have text me so you can listen to my text tone right now on the podcast. Okay. I should play that when someone gets answers, right? No, you literally should. And you can. Anywho. Okay. 
now I'm back to teaching and now you know why. So thank you for listening to the woes of my early 20s career. Hopefully I'll get this figured out soon. Next week, I don't really know what we're talking about. We have some possible guests coming on, which we haven't had in a very long time. They aren't former teachers, but I am begging people that know what they're talking about to come on, but they are way overqualified to be here. So let's bring Christina back. I liked her. Christina! Oh, that's a good idea. She knows shit. No, I know. She like really knows shit. Also, life hack, if you teach in a hot climate, this bodysuit is the best ever for teaching. Okay, somebody asked you to do a series of school outfits and I want you to show everyone your assortment of bodysuits. Okay. Because you have the best ones. I will. I'm your manager now. They're all from Amazon too. Hell yeah. And you can make a list and you can link it and then you can make commission on not only when people buy your bodysuits, but if people click your bodysuits and then buy a cart full of other shit, you get commission on that. I got commission off someone's Amazon grocery delivery. I love going through the little part that shows you what they bought. Me too. I know that people don't know that that's a thing, but if you (laughs) click an influencer's link and then buy anything, we don't know who you are, but we can see what you purchased and people buy the most random things. It doesn't show your name. It just shows like that we made one cent off your cucumber. Yeah, or your pair of socks. Alrighty. Well, this has been another episode of Teacher Quit Talk. Thanks for talking and sorry I unquit. I'm glad you unquit. Me too. And be beautiful. Bye-bye. Bye. Just as a disclaimer, because I am someone who is actively teaching, everything on this podcast is my personal opinion and does not reflect my district, my state, my employer, my students, or my admin. Everything on this podcast was recorded on personal time, on personal equipment, and is a completely separate endeavor from my school district. Yeah, leave her alone.